Well, good morning. Good to be with you this day in these waning days of summer. As we open God's Word together. So, uh, this morning, uh, we're going to be in the book of Revelation, and we're going to be zeroing in on one particular section, one church, Church of Smyrna. Uh, but we're, the approach is going to be to look at this letter, but with a view to the book of Revelation as a whole. So let's see how we can pull that off. Uh, the, uh, when I read this, I'm already going to switch things. I'm reading from the ESV. Uh, but uh, instead of reading, uh, translating the word conquer, saying conquer, I'm going to say overcome, because that could also be translated that way. All right, let's give you the reading of God's word. This is uh, Revelation 2, reading of verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. This is the reading of the very word of the living God. The title of this morning's message is Christ's Call to Overcome. And allow me to pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. That you have caused it to be written down for us. To read, to study, to be instructed by, and to be led by your spirit. Lord, this morning, as you have inhabited the praises and the prayers of your people, may you inhabit the preaching of your word. In Christ's name we pray, amen. On my Facebook feed, I noticed a lot of parents are uh, posting pictures of taking their kids to college. That's kind of fun. I always found that a sweet and sour time myself. But imagine you, imagine you are going off to college and your parents are taking you and they load up the, the vehicle and cart you off to college and uh, un help you unload and you get settled in your dorm. And while you're unpacking, you discover a letter from your parents. You open it and you read it and you find that it contains counsel to you at this stage of your life. It tells you what to expect, some of the challenges you are likely to face, counsel on how to conduct yourself while you're at college. And in this letter, your parents assure you of their abiding love for you and their provision for you. And your parents paint a picture of what your future could be like. And as you read this letter, from your parents, you hear echoes of things that, that they taught you your entire life. Well, that sort of letter is just what our Lord Jesus Christ has given to us in the book of Revelation. Revelation is addressed to seven churches. And these churches were actual 
geographically located communities of faith uh, in the first century A.D. But the book of Revelation isn't just for those seven churches. It's for Christ's church throughout the world and throughout the centuries. Now, college, it can hold, and this makes, uh, makes us nervous as parents, but college can hold many dangers for our children because of competing worldviews where our, our children are challenged in their faith by competing worldviews, views other than the biblical worldview that God gives us. And they're also challenged with temptations to indulge in self-serving ways. Well, these sorts of things, these challenges to the way we look at life, challenges to how we live our lives, these are things that all of us face in this world as disciples of Jesus Christ. And so our Lord Jesus Christ gives us this book of Revelation to prepare us, to equip us for life in this world as ones who bear his name. If we were to boil the book of Revelation down to a word, that's kind of hard to do, but in terms of a call, let's say, I think it is the call to overcome. Each one of the letters, including, I just read the letter from Smyrna, to Smyrna, and it, call, and it ends with a call to overcome. If you look at each one of the other six letters in Revelation 2 and 3, you'll find that it ends with a call to overcome. So each of the letters is punctuated with a call to overcome. And then when we look at the letter as a whole, the book of Revelation as a whole, we see as we come to the close of Revelation, the same call, a call to overcome. So it must be pretty important that our Lord hits that nail on the head over and over. So this morning, we're going to try and get a handle on what it means to overcome. And we'll see three things, what it means to overcome, how we overcome, and how we live as overcomers. First, what it means to overcome. Uh, yesterday, I turned on the TV uh, to watch uh, the end of a tennis match between Sasha Zverev and Stefanos Tsitsipas. And these are two up-and-coming uh, stars. They're going to be replacing uh, Djokovic and Federer and Nadal eventually. So really, uh, strong, strong tennis player. So I wanted to see what it looked like. And at this point in the match, um, the Zverev had won the first set, Tsitsipas had won the second set, and in the, when I turned it, turned it on, Tsitsipas was ahead 4-1 in the third set, and it was the best two out of three sets. And he was on the verge of making it 5-1 in that third set. But then Zverev came back, and he ended up winning the match. He ended up overcoming that deficit overcoming the nerves and the tension that he would have felt, also overcoming a doctor had to come on court because something going on, was going on with his stomach, and the doctor came on court to treat him, and during that third set, he had to leave the court to go throw up. It gives us an idea of what overcoming is like. 
as we see these things that are, we have to surmount in order to press on, in order to persevere. And overcoming is front and center in the book of Revelation. Look at verse 11, chapter 2. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. So here the church of Smyrna is given the call to overcome, just as all the other churches are. In fact, did you notice that it says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so the churches, plural, are in view. The churches of Asia Minor in the first century, but also the churches that are spread throughout the world and across the ages. The call to overcome has bearing for each one of us who calls himself or herself a Christian. The call to overcome has bearing for every church that serves Jesus Christ throughout the ages, including Metacroft Presbyterian Church. So what does it mean to overcome? Well, the ESV translates it to conquer. So that gives us an idea. Or another way to might, might put it is to gain victory over. But a word that I particularly like to get the sense of overcome is to prevail. Because prevail, sense, you get the idea that there is something in front of me, something that I need to struggle against. That's what overcoming is. There are things, there are adversities, there are adversaries that we need to address in order to overcome. To overcome is essentially, well, you know how in John 15, Jesus gives the image of the vine and the branches? And there it says that Jesus is the true vine. Life is bound up in Jesus Christ. And we have life by abiding in Christ. And we have health and vitality and fruitfulness and vigor and strength by abiding in Jesus Christ. Jesus says that we need to abide in him for authentic fruit, for much fruit, for fruit that will endure. Do you get the idea of abiding? Overcoming is like abiding. It's the same, cut from the same cloth, except it adds the dimension that there is difficulty involved, that there is work involved, that there is attention and focus and effort involved in our overcoming. We see this in the message to Smyrna. Jesus notes their affliction. Look at verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. You see, there are four things that are mentioned there in this letter to the church of Smyrna. Things that relate to us. Things that relate to every Christian, every church in this present age. He mentions tribulation, poverty, slander, and prison. This is the kind of adversity that we as Christians 
can expect to face in this world. These are the kind of things that Christians in America, Christians in Afghanistan face. Tribulation. We might think of persecution. We might think of an oppression. Things that can take different forms that we have to stand up against and endure. Or poverty. You know, when we take a stand for Christ, it might mean this. It might mean there will be economic consequences where we will not be able to stay in a particular job or we will not get the promotion. Slander. To stand up for Christ means that we may very well be maligned and mocked for our faith. People will think that we are superstitious, foolish bigots, and we will hear things like this. And prison, the other thing he mentions, and there may very well be legal oppression for those who take a stand for Jesus Christ. And what Jesus does as he exposes these various kinds of adversity, he pulls back the curtain and he shows us who is the orchestrator, the enemy, our enemy, and the enemy of Christ's church in this present evil age. And that is Satan. He's identified here in our text. You know, that shouldn't surprise us a lot, should it? Because Jesus, in his high priestly prayer in John 17, he prays this. He prays, Father, I don't pray that you take these disciples of mine. I don't pray that you take them out of the world. I pray that you keep them from the evil one. And reminds us of this, that there we will experience adversity in this world. And coupled with that is an adversary who opposes Christ and opposes those who bear his name. Now when it comes to sports, um, there is usually a, a prize to be won. You know, in the Olympics, you know, you, in the particular sport, the, the prize of the gold medal or silver, bronze, whatever it might be, or the ones who emerge victorious from the um, uh, basketball tournaments or baseball playoffs, whatever it might be, there is a prize. And what our Lord tells us is this. There is a prize for every one who overcomes. A prize. In fact, every time you see in the book of Revelation mention of the word overcome, you will find associated with it something of the prize that belongs to those who overcome. You see it here in uh, Smyrna. Well, look at the one church in Ephesus. It said, to the one who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Another letter says, um, to the one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone. Here to Smyrna, he says, the one who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. Now, what is that? What is the second death? 
Well, the scriptures say this, that it is appointed for each of us to die once and to face judgment. Eternal death is, uh, the second death is eternal death. But to the one who overcomes, our Lord says this, we will not face the eternal death of condemnation. Instead, we will have eternal life in the new heavens and the new earth. Often when we think of the cities of Revelation, uh, we think of the seven cities to which it is addressed. But actually, the dominant city, the preeminent city in the book of Revelation is not the seven. It is not among the seven It is the city that is associated with the new heavens and the new earth. It is the new Jerusalem where God will dwell with his people immediately, face to face. And do you know who is in the registry? Who are the citizens of the new Jerusalem? It is those who overcome. How do we overcome, though? What's involved in overcoming? Well, some of these stories of overcoming can be quite inspirational. You know, that uh, story of the tennis player that I mentioned, that Sasha Zverev, for him to overcome those obstacles, it was, it was uh, one of these highlight reel kinds of things. It was very impressive. Or to see what people do to... Uh, to uh, Uh, get a prize to overcome in the Olympics and to stand on that center podium. Or there are other issues, there are other matters of overcoming, like those who overcome cancer. All kinds of things. We get an idea of what they did to overcome. We get an idea of the grit and determination and a refusal to throw in the towel. That gives us an idea of what our Lord is calling us to when he says to overcome. You get the sense that there, it's invo- there's a fo- focus and intention and a rolling up the sleeves and a pressing on. But there's more to overcoming in the book of Revelation than just grit and determination. The center of Revelation holds up for us the heart It shows us how we overcome. In fact, the book of Revelation as a whole is very graphic. It's like a graphic novel in the sense it it uses our visual things. And it's it's more of a video than a still to give us an idea of what is involved in overcoming. But here it is at the center of the book in Revelation 12. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser, Satan, of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God, and they have overcome by the blood of the Lamb. You hear what what 
what uh, John is saying in the book of Revelation, what, we hear, what he is showing us in these vivid scenes, he is saying that we overcome not by the blood, sweat, and tears of our own effort. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb. And that's a central message of the book of Revelation, is that the only way to overcome is through this Messiah given and through His saving work. John spells that out in his first epistle. He says this in 1 John 5, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. Now remember, faith is not just in faith. Faith always rests in something. It always puts its eggs in that basket. And what is it? Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? You know, when uh, we hear these stories of overcoming and uh, people who overcome tremendous obstacles and they gain our admiration, we call them heroes, we crown them champions. But when we overcome by faith in Jesus Christ who overcomes for us, what we do is we take whatever achievement, whatever crown, whatever laurel wreath, whatever accolade comes to us, and we take it and we cast it down at the feet of Him to whom belongs all glory and honor and praise. That's why the book of Revelation comes with a soundtrack. And if you turn the dial up so that you can hear it, you will hear throughout the book, worthy is the Lamb who has been slain. To receive power and riches and honor and glory. See, all of it, all glory, redounds to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only overcoming, and that's why the overwhelming, overarching focus of the entire book of Revelation is Jesus Christ. From the dense portrait of Revelation 1 all the way through these uh, glimpses of His glory spread throughout the entire book. Now, in the letter to Smyrna, the one who overcomes is, is promised escape from the second death. But that's not where the letter starts. Look where the letter starts in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. You see where it starts? It starts by directing our eyes, lifting our eyes to Jesus. You know, we read earlier from the Old Testament, from Isaiah 44, and the title there for God was the first and the last. I am the first and the last. And God said, no one else has this title. 
because there is no other God but me. But here we see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, taking this title to himself, declaring himself to be God, incarnate to save. This God who would become incarnate, who would live a life of perfect obedience, who would die a death on the cross as an innocent man, who would be raised to life in victory for those he came to save and who reigns on high for his church. See, we who hope in Jesus Christ, whose faith is in him, will not experience the second death, will not experience condemnation because Christ suffered that in our place. And so that's why we read these words in Revelation 1. Jesus says this, Fear not. Fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I hold the keys to death and Hades. What it means to overcome, how to overcome, and then thirdly, how do we live as overcomers? How do we live as overcomers? You know, life in this world for us as Christians, it can be a struggle. In fact, the more our light shines, the more difficult we make it for ourselves in a world where darkness can reign. In many ways, as Christians, we are fish out of water. Jesus said that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. Or if I could mix it up a little bit, we are constantly swimming upstream, swimming against the cultural flow. And our Lord Jesus gives us this book of Revelation to encourage us in his victory and also to equip us in how to live for him, to live as overcomers. Now, the book of Revelation is often regarded as um, an answer key to the future or a crystal ball. But the focal point of, of Revelation is not tomorrow. The focal point of Revelation for us and why our Lord Jesus gives us this letter is the focal point is today, the day at hand. Like that letter uh, to the college student from parents. The parents, it was, it was intended to guide the student during his life at college. So our Lord equips us for life in a fallen world. All right, how do we go about that? Well, our Lord, uh, uh, John helps us to know how to approach the book of Revelation. How, how do we handle this weird book? This book that we tend to shy away from because it seems so strange and exotic. How do we handle it? Well, John tells us in, his, in the uh, opening words of the first chapter, he says this, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. Here are the three words. That's how, that's how we deal with the book of Revelation. That's, that's how we handle it. Read, hear, and keep. Read means we cannot leave this letter unopened. 
We cannot lay it aside, neglecting it. We must take it up. We need to hear it. And that means that we need to listen, to seek, to understand what it is our Lord is telling us. Most of the uh, images in the book of Revelation come to us from the Old Testament. It's filled with direct references, allusions to the Old Testament that make sense to us on this side of the cross. Now, the third thing we do is keep it. And that means the book of Revelation to be applied. Now, we don't usually think of the book of Revelation as something to be kept. We don't think of it as particularly practical. Uh, usually, we might think of the book of Revelation as some blockbuster movie that we're to be awed and wowed by. But it is to be read, it is to be heard, and it is to be kept. In fact, Jesus at the end of the book of Revelation, in chapter 22, he says this, And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Well, how do we do that? How do we keep the book of Revelation? I think there are two aspects. One, we keep our Lord's message in mind. We keep it in mind. We gird our thoughts. We also keep his counsel in play. That involves two things, perspective and practice. You know, in this world where things seem turned upside down and all these horrors are happening and it seems more each day as we read the newspaper and see all these things, but these things have been going on throughout the centuries. And we can scratch our heads saying, Lord, where are you in this? Why is this happening? What's it? These are your people. and this is your, Where are you, God? But our Lord Jesus wants us to keep the perspective that he gives us in mind the perspective of faith that knows and trusts and rests in God. But he also wants to keep us to keep his counsel, his direction in play, to practice, to put these things into practice. Now, a concentration of our Lord's counsel to his church is found in the seven letters. Seven letters of chapters two and three. We can find it throughout the book, but it's, it's concentrated there, and there are things in those letters that he commends and things that Jesus corrects. And these things have application to all of us and to all of the church throughout the age. One of the things that we see in these letters to the churches is we find there's opposition opposition from the world but there's also opposition within the church as heresy as uh, immoral teaching in practice is not just the property of the world it can find itself 
in the church, and we as God's people, the leaders of this church, have the job to protect you from the efforts of the evil one to lead us astray. There is suffering. That suffering will be temporary. Here it says that you'll, be, you'll experience tribulation for 10 days. 10 days is a way of saying that it's limited. There's, there's an end to it. Peter, when he's writing to Christians who were suffering and persecuted, um, he said that though you might suffer for a little while, now it never seems like a little while when you're in the midst of suffering, but in respect to eternity, it's a sliver of time. A little while you may experience this. But one day, that will give way to eternity. And when we look at our Lord's counsel in these seven letters, I think we can, all, we can group them all with this understanding. Our Lord wants us to abide in Him. So that when He talks to the church, writes to the church at Ephesus, and He says, you have abandoned your first love. That reminds us of this, that so often we can do the Christian thing, we can show up at church on Sunday morning, we can roll up our sleeves and help with food for others and things like that, but they can become ends in themselves rather than efforts to know and love and serve Jesus Christ. We can forget our first love. We can, Christianity can just become a religion without the relationship. Or, as we hear things from the world, and these things seem so right, they make so much sense to us, they can even have a grain of truth in it from the Bible. But our Lord says, what you need is wisdom. He he writes us about that. Wisdom so that you will incline to me and live, rather than doing what is right in your own eyes. Something else he calls us for in these letters is repentance. Because all of us are prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. And so our Lord, by His Spirit, is constantly wooing us back to Himself. Each one of the things in these letters, I'm not going to unpack them all right now, can be understood in terms of drawing nearer, just like we sang earlier, closer to Jesus Christ against the efforts of the enemy to draw us from him. That's part of the prevailing. We need to recover the book of Revelation. We need to read it and hear it and keep it. We need the perspective our Lord wants us to have. To the one who overcomes will belong all of the blessings of glory that are displayed so majestically and so wonderfully in the book of Revelation. The one who overcomes, all of that will belong to you. But to the one who does not overcome, the one who rejects Jesus Christ, the one not found in Jesus Christ, to that one will belong all of the horrific curses that are displayed with such dread in the book of Revelation. So what's Christ's call this morning in Revelation? The call to overcome. How? By coming 
to him. Him who was crucified, risen, reigning, and returning. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, who died and lives forevermore, who alone holds the keys to the dungeon of death in Hades, we ask that you would subdue us to yourself, that you would sustain us in our struggle, and that you would strengthen us for the battle. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.